Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. What does the future hold for St. Louis and how do we get there? This is Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Welcome in to our innovation conversation on KMOX. Michael and Travis with you. We've got a lot to get to on this show about new frontiers here in St. Louis. The first is Square, the company that was founded by a St. Louisan, Jack Dorsey. They're into finance. They really got a, a going by allowing you to swipe your credit card to buy anything. Uh, but uh, they're getting into Bitcoin now, Travis. Yeah, what I, so, you know, what I love about Square is they have a physical presence in downtown St. Louis, and now they're really getting into this virtual currency and finding ways to make, make Bitcoin easier for people to transact with. Maybe a little safer as well, lending the uh, credibility of Square to this fledgling cryptocurrency. Uh, so we'll get to that. We'll talk with CNET to, to learn about Bitcoin and what Square's intentions are. And then we'll take you to Harris-Stowe State University. They're opening the Geo Hornet Lab inside of T-Rex, another advancement when it comes to mapping technology in St. Louis. Well, and, you know, if we think about where the NGA is located, it's, you know, in North St. Louis, a predominantly black neighborhood having opportunities for uh, young people of color to move into these career fields makes tremendous sense. It's a great economic driver. And I think it's a great partnership between Harris Stowe State University and T-Rex uh, to make this happen. And then we'll end the show by taking you to Capitol Hill, where a St. Louisan from BioSTL, Ben Johnson, testified before the House Subcommittee on Economic Growth. Well, we know that so much economic growth is driven not just by small business, but by innovative businesses. And we're hoping that the new administration, this new presidential and federal administration, will invest more dollars into innovation nationwide. So Square and Bitcoin, Geo Hornets at Harris-Stowe, and St. Louis testifying when it comes to sparking an innovation economy. Stay tuned. All of that is coming up on Nothing Impossible. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Square, of course, is a large uh, St. Louis company. They're taking over the former Post-Dispatch building in downtown St. Louis. It's going to be, I believe, their largest outpost outside of San Francisco. Of course, Jack Dorsey is a St. Louis native. He's the founder of Square, along with Jim McKelvey. And he made some news this week by announcing that they'll be starting a new subsidiary dedicated to decentralized finance. And uh, Travis, and we're also joined by CNET editor-at-large, Ian Shear. It seems like uh, decentralized finance is another way to say Bitcoin. Yes, exactly. It, it's interesting. We Jack Dorsey has been 
kind of really fascinated with Bitcoin for a very long time. And look, it's a really interesting technology. The, the very basics of it, right, are that it's completely decentralized. So instead of requiring a bank or a Federal Reserve, there is just a ledger out in the public. So a file that we all could download. And it tells us how much Bitcoin we all have and all the transactions that go back and forth. And, you know, there are ways to make sure that it isn't hacked and stuff like that. And it's worked pretty well. Uh, but what's been interesting is to see companies starting to jump increasingly on it, even though the value of Bitcoin, as we have talked about many, many times, is all over the map, right? It's up one day, it's down the next, it doubles, it halves. It's, it's really exhausting. But the promise of it is what Jack Dorsey is really into. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've seen people, you know, first, these large companies adding it to their balance sheets, you know, carrying, carrying Bitcoin on their balance sheets. But a company like Square, which is a financial services company or fintech company as well, uh, they're actually integrating it more into their platform. Talk a little bit about what, what Dorsey's vision is for Bitcoin. Yeah, I, the, the reality is that he hasn't talked too many details. What he did say was that he wants to make it as easy for companies to be able to essentially create apps or services using Bitcoin as one of the ways to pay and, and to move money around. And look, that is totally what Square is about, right? Like the Cash App or the little Square, uh, you know, the, 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 the credit card thingy that you put on your phone. All of these things have always been about making finance a lot easier in the mobile age. So it's no shock that he wants his company to start doing this in Bitcoin as well. It'll be interesting to see how far this ends up going. You know, one of the questions that exists, there are a lot of questions around Bitcoin. One of them that exists is the question of getting people comfortable with it, but also how does the government respond? We're still, there are tons of questions around, for example, regulation and all these types of things, which is by the way, part of the reason that Bitcoin halved over the last couple of months. So I, I'm curious to see what he ends up doing. Well, and let me just add one more thing. I think back to uh, the day and age we were all trying to create our first blogs or websites on a platform like WordPress, and the Zynga. role that a company of the work, the role that a company like uh, Stripe had played, right, to just really create an integrated e-commerce platform, transactional yep. platform that really plugged into uh, you know, WordPress and gave people confidence to start exchanging money on the web. It, it sounds like, and, you know, Square has some robustness to it. It sounds like Dorsey wants to do this on the mobile app side and really letting uh, Bitcoin be that, that currency. There is a, uh, a real race happening in Silicon Valley to be the bank of Bitcoin. And you see it happening in all sorts of different places. You know, there are the obvious players like Coinbase, which is, uh, you know, a venture backed firm that's going public and all of that. Uh, you also have Facebook. They are trying to do their own version of Bitcoin because, you know, Facebook wants to do their own version of anything. But I think what will be very interesting is exactly what you described, right? If, if, if Jack Dorsey is able to kind of really crack that nut and figure out a way where he is able to offer a service that makes Bitcoin indispensable and easy, I think he will be able to really go with it. But what he describes is not easy to pull off. And <laughs> it'll be interesting to watch. 
So how much does the average person use Bitcoin or how, how, how much of an opportunity, <laughs> I guess, is there for someone to, in the course of a transaction, to use Bitcoin as opposed to, to a dollar? And is, is that part of Jack Dorsey's aim here is to uh, further mainstream this? Yeah, it, it's actually really hard to tell exactly uh, what the average person is right now in the Bitcoin world. Uh, to give you a sense, um, you know, there is something around 75 million individual accounts in the Bitcoin world estimated by one of the surveys out there. You know, we could be kind and push it up to 100 million. There are 7 billion people on the planet. There are 330 million people in the United States. So, you know, it's not exactly that there is a ton of people using this stuff yet. The reality is that right now, Bitcoin is also being used as a speculative market by a lot of people. It's not actually being used for the, the buying and selling of goods. Uh, you know, if you'd gone back a few years ago and we wrote on CNET, there was a guy selling alpaca socks <laughs> with Bitcoin. And, you know, it, it turned out that, you know, his family had an alpaca farm. They made clothes and whatnot. And he just wanted to play with it. Right. It wasn't like it was a really official thing. I'm sure he's really happy with the Bitcoins he got. <laughs> but the reality is that right now there still isn't a like a real world that's built around Bitcoin. It's mostly the, the, you know, a secondary stock market type thing. And in that regard, unfortunately, it's it, it has a kind of craziness to it, right? It's not a it's not a part of the economy in the way we would think of it yet. Has Bitcoin or is Bitcoin continue to separate itself from other cryptocurrencies out there? I mean, it is the it's the OG, right? It's the, it's the, god, <laughs> it's the godfather of, of crypto. Uh, but is it still separating itself or are others starting to emerge? Yeah, there are definitely other uh, cryptocurrencies out there. And, you know, the, the one you probably have heard the most about, if you know anything about the Bitcoin world, is uh, Ethereum is another mm -hmm. one that's really popular. Um, and the reality is that right now, I think part of what's going on is that, you know, first off, there's the people, you know, whenever there's a boom, there's the people who jump in, just like during the gold rush, right? All these people trying to jump in and get some land. So that's a little bit of what you're seeing is a bunch of different coins popping up because of that. But the other thing also is that there are different takes on how the Bitcoin uh, platform should operate. There are people who argue that the technology behind it, while it is revolutionary, and to be sure, the what we call blockchain technology, which we describe on CNET, right? But it's what makes Bitcoin popular uh, possible. That technology is being used by banks. It's being looked into by medical firms, all sorts of stuff, because it's a way to move data around in a secure way. And that's great. But in terms of being like it's, you know, the, the key standard, uh, you know, piece of finance, right, the money, the, the, the currency everyone goes to, there isn't really one that's one out yet, right? Bitcoin is worth the most. Uh, Ethereum is worth the next most. And then after that, it's kind of, you know, bottom. And I, I think it'll probably end up being that way for quite a while. We're talking with CNET Editor-at-Large, Ian Shear, and one of those alternative currencies is uh, Dogecoin, D-O-G-E-C-O-I-N. And yes. Jackson Palmer, the co-creator, went on a bit of a tweet storm this week. He created one of these cryptocurrencies, but now he says uh, the industry is controlled by a powerful cartel of wealthy figures. Uh, it leverages a network of shady business connections, bought influencers, and pay-for-play media outlets. It uh, is financial exploitation and uh, says that it takes the worst parts of today's system, corruption, fraud, and uses software to limit the use of interventions like audits, regulation, and taxation. 
This guy co-created one of these cryptocurrencies. He doesn't sound like he's very in favor of it now. Is there kind of a pushback or does he have a point that, um, especially as there's this push to get more consumers into this, are there the protections there that we have when we spend with a credit card or cash or FDIC on our bank accounts or all of these, these different protections we have with the U.S. dollar? Zero protections, <laughs> as in none, <laughs> as in nothing. <laughs> you are not protected from scams, fraud. Uh, if, if the bank goes under, you are not protected. In fact, that has happened to several people in the past. Um, it, 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 no, there's no protection at all. That's why I call it a speculative market. You know, look, I think the creator of Dogecoin is an interesting guy, right? Uh, partially because Dogecoin was a joke to begin with. Right? I mean, literally the picture of it, if you, we have a picture of what the Dogecoin looks like on Xena, it's literally a dog, right? <laughs> Going, wow. And, you know, the, the, the truth is that, yes, there is a lot of bad stuff happening in this world. Just like, by the way, there was a lot of bad stuff happening in any big gold rush that ever happens, right? You can look at the housing world. You can look at the gold world. You can look at anything. The, the question is, what are we doing to make sure that it works and whether or not we want to hold on to it, right? And right now, I think we don't even know if we want Bitcoin to be a real thing. You know, that's why the price keeps going all over the map. That's why you see, you know, some companies looking at it, but then dumping it. You saw Tesla thinking, oh, we'll use it for a while. Then they got rid of it. Now they're maybe going back. Like it's, it's all over the place. So yes, he has a really good point he makes. And there's a lot of criticism, I would happily levely at the entire industry uh, for a lot of really good reasons. Hopefully, a lot of those concerns will get fixed over time. But that's why I warn people, if you don't have the time or energy to follow this stuff super close, you should stay as far away from it as you can. So does Square well, it, jumping into this, does, does that try to add some trust to this Wild West, a company like Square? That's the great question. You know, look, I think that it's not just that one thing that they're doing, by the way, right? Building a, a platform for developers. They're also saying that they want to develop uh, what's called a Bitcoin wallet, which is uh, essentially, you know, the place to store your Bitcoins. Uh, you know, Bitcoins are very much like cash, as in if you lose them, you don't get your cash back. Right? <laughs> and so, but this is a digital version. So having a physical hard wallet that you carry around is a really interesting thing. But back to the point, if you lose your wallet, you're out of luck. You don't have your money anymore. So I, I think that the you know Square has the potential to really become a, a standard bearer of this industry, right? I um I, I'm tep- you know I'm typically pretty skeptical of those types of things, partially because when I think of Jack Dorsey and Square, it's hard not to think of Twitter as well, which uh, you know, while being one of the most influential social networks in the world, is not very highly valued by Wall Street. Uh, has a small user base compared to Facebook, and uh, they really struggle to do their job effectively when we deal with stuff like disinformation and everything else. So th- that's why it's hard for me to look at Square and say, "Oh, they could be the next one." I honestly, it, I don't know. It's hard. So, I mean, uh, Ian, pull out a crystal ball for us. We're not going to hold you to any of these predictions or anything Please like don't. that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, let's let's look out two to five years uh, for in the crypto market just in general. Not talking about value. Let's talk a little bit about adoption and and some of these tools that that Dorsey and Square are looking at. Uh, like, what does this? What can this do for adoption and and normalization of cryptocurrency? Yeah, I mean, look. Uh, 
you don't have to look very far for this to be uh, to to imagine what the world can look like. Uh, China, in fact, has been doing a lot in terms of mobile payments and and cryptocurrency type stuff for a long time. So right now in China, if you want, um, let's ignore Bitcoin for a moment, right? If you want to pay a friend uh, with, you know, give them money, you know, you, we use the Square app here in the States. They have their own app, but they use it way more than we do. They the, the people in China live off of their app and they 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 trade money that way. They pay for stuff with their app. They like they go into a local shop, you know, a corner store. They pay for stuff with their app. Like it has become an ingrained part of society there to the point where those ugly QR codes, right? Those weird box mm -hmm. within box codes, they're everywhere in China, right? We don't we have them somewhat in the United States, but they're still, you know, we don't like to put them up because they're ugly as sin. But in, in China, they're everywhere. And that is part of how it has become. So if we think about what the future of the United States could be in, in the Western world of money, I think that one of the things that's increasingly becoming true, whether it's Bitcoin, whether it's just Visa card, whatever, right, is that the that relying on our phones and relying on the digital version of our money is going to become a very, very common thing. You know, already I am using stuff like Apple Pay and Samsung Pay way more than I ever thought I would. I don't actually carry cash anymore. And I'm working <laughs> toward not trying to carry credit cards, right? Um, I still don't trust my phone a thousand percent yet in terms of it not crashing when I need to pay for something. <laughs> but, um, but it, you know, the, and Apple has already said they're working on working on creating a driver's license for your phone too. So, you know, imagine being able to get rid of our wallets and we just carry around our, our phones everywhere. That is pretty cool, but we're still a little far off from that. Reminds me of when I forgot my wallet going to a baseball game. I think it was a few months before they announced Apple Pay. And I was like, I could have used that a few yep. weeks ago <laughs> when I got yeah. there and I couldn't get a beer. Uh, keeping the crystal ball out, Ian, uh, we started with St. Louis. And let's wrap up with a little bit on that. Last time I interviewed Jack Dorsey, he said that he would like St. Louis to be the home of a full-fledged division of Square, just like they've got the Seller, the Cash App, they've got Title now. Um, do you think that this has the opportunity to become one of those full-fledged subsidiaries? Um, and maybe St. Louis could be the home for that. Yeah, I mean, look, there's the thing about technology that I find really exciting, and part of why I love following this industry, right? And I, I've done it from the Agence France Press, from Reuters, from the Wall Street Journal, now at CNET, is that it is constantly changing. Like it, it, there is always opportunity. And that's not me, you know, tooting the horns and waving the American flag. Like it is, you can see companies come and go real quick in the tech industry, which means that when they have a good idea, it can take off. And there is totally an opportunity to do something with this, right? If he pulls it off, he does the stuff that I think he should. And, you know, he makes it safe for everyone. And maybe I don't lose my money and stuff like that. Great. Amen. Go do it. And if he does it in St. Louis, all the better, right? I think the question is, can he pull it off in a world where there are tons of people who want to do it right now? And there is everyone trying to make their next billion dollars off of Bitcoin. And I just, you know, big question mark over my head about whether or not there's even billion dollars left to be made in this world that's so crazy. Well, Ian Scherer, editor-at-large at CNET, thanks so much for joining us, talking uh, all things crypto and Bitcoin. And making the story relevant to here in St. Louis with, uh, with Square and Jack Dorsey. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
And coming up on Nothing Impossible, we'll take you to the new Geo Hornet Lab. Geospatial, a big cluster for St. Louis. That's at Harris Stowe State University. Up next. St. Louis Innovation with Michael and Travis. Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, welcome back to Nothing Impossible. Travis Sheridan and Michael Calhoun. And we're joined by Dr. Freddie Wills, Harris Stowe State University Vice President for STEM Initiatives and Research Partnerships. And we're talking about the Geo Hornet Lab. We've talked a lot about a, a lot of different geo topics, Michael. Geo futures, geospatial. Now we're talking Geo Hornet. Mapping technology, that's one of the big clusters for St. Louis. Dr. Wills, this is one of, really, St. Louis's wheelhouses. We've got to really succeed when it comes to geospatial. And tell us a little bit about what Harris Stowe is doing with the Geo Hornet Lab toward that. Well, you, you're definitely right. We have to succeed in this space in, in the community of St. Louis. And Harris Stowe has joined this uh, industry and this um, this this field of geospatial science to give our students an opportunity to not only to have some exposure in this space, but to also a chance to have engagement with the professionals in the industry, especially the, the burgeoning um, entrepreneurial ecosystem that we have in St. Louis around the geospatial science and the opportunity for our students to get experiences uh, in this field of study while they're in, while they're in uh, a university setting so they can learn um, the the skill sets they need to use the tools, understand the the science as well, and go out and apply it in industry one day. Uh, Dr. Wells, tell us about how this uh, materialized. What, uh, how did this come about that uh, Harris Stowe State University will be launching the this hub in, uh, in T-Rex? Well, it all goes back to our uh, building the partnership with the, with the NGA. Uh, back in October of 2020, we signed the educational partnership agreement with NGA. And as we look to expand our academic programs in, in the STEM field, uh, we thought this was a, a perfect time for us to, uh, you know, venture out and open up a lab that would go on, that, that is going to be central to the work that we've committed to with the NGA under the educational partnership agreement. So at this time, we're looking to run the activities out of the lab uh, that were committed in, in the grant, uh, in, not the grant, I'm sorry, but committed to in the, in the partnership with NGA. Um, so that, that includes things like curriculum development. It includes us um, making sure that we're engaging our students in undergraduate research, and which is really how they learn um, this work and advance them towards uh, industry or graduate school. And then also looking at uh, how Harris Stowe plays a role with helping NGA connect with the community uh, so that people in, in underserved spaces, underserved students, have opportunity for access to um, potential jobs in NGA in the future. T-Rex, of course, is the big startup hub in downtown St. Louis, and that's where Geo Hornet Lab is going to be located. You mentioned, uh, you know, the, the activities that are involved in this. Uh, some people might be wondering, geospatial mapping technology, like I know how to get directions on my phone, but what else does that entail? Can you clue us in a little bit as to what these students are going to be learning, some of the applications for these skills, uh, and, and just yeah. generally a little bit of an intro to geospatial? Yeah, so so what we are looking at in this space is is truly this is opportunity. When I said exposure, um, this is something re that will be relatively new at Harris Stowe in our STEM 
academic program. So it for us is expanding our programs with a with a curriculum that is going to allow students to hone set their skills in geosciences for opportunities to go into the industry. Out of this lab, uh, we are also going to be focusing on on opportunities to use the geospatial science tools on looking at the community and how we can help um, better serve the community in the development aspect. Uh, there's a lot, lots of spaces in St. Louis that we could revitalize, especially in our urban core. Um, and so this work and the effort that we're going to be looking at is is going to be using these tools to figure out ways that how could we improve the community? How could we improve um, the city in, in using these uh, geospatial tools in, the, in a manner to help us just do that? And while we're doing that, um, we're, we're learning as well. Our, our students are learning a new, a new skill set. Our faculty members are providing that skill set with them through research. And it's just an overall opportunity for us to um, increase our academic space uh, with, a, with a highly skilled opportunity for our students uh, that will get them in the workforce. Um, and, and, and hopefully with some in opportunities with advanced jobs that, you know, that our students can make livable wages and improve themselves as well, uh, which also improves the community. Well, you know, it's it's always interesting. We hear about, you know, the education of the workforce and all too often students are given a lot of theory and not a lot of practice. This seems like it's a, a nice blend of understanding the core theory behind geospatial and and what they might need to know to to really understand the field, but then also applying it directly in their own backyard, looking at some of the discrepancies that exist in St. Louis. Uh, talk a little bit more, and I, I saw that uh, that you have a, a geology professor, Dr. Uh, Gary Higgs, that's going to be serving as the mentor. Talk a little bit more about some of the, the role that the faculty at Harris-Stowe are gonna play in helping move from theory to practice. So yes, they're going to help uh, majorly. Um, the The faculty is our core. Is the faculty is very important to everything that we do at the university. So so without them, without their knowledge, we can't transfer skill sets to our students in many areas. So Dr. Higgs Higgs is going to play a vital role in helping our students first understand geospatial sciences. Uh, in a way to where we're really going to be looking at the community and, and some of the aspects that he wants to look at is, you know, what changes have happened here over the past 50 years? Um, by using the geospatial technology, our students are going to be able to hone in on certain parts of the city to understand how the city has changed, how, how it has, um, you know, moved from, from, from one state to another. And, there's there for us is, is opportunities for the faculty members to say, now how can we use this work um, to improve socially uh, in the community? Uh, so uh, everything that he's doing is really going to be helping our students to understand how they can take a special area like geospatial sciences and go into the communities and say we could improve this area just by maybe something as simple as. Placing a stop sign right here could make this community safer. So we're looking at innovative ways of of doing um, community development through geospatial technology. Little things can make the biggest difference, and and this can help us uncover those little things and and 
make action on them. And and I'm really curious about, it seems like there are two sides of this. There's the collection of all this data. I mean, some of the geospatial companies are even in the business of physically putting satellites in orbit. And then there's the analysis side. What do you do with all of this information once once you have it? Is that is that kind of right? You've got the collection yeah. and, and these cool physical things, and then you've got the brain power of what does it all mean? What do we do with this? Right. What do we do with it? Is satellite imagery is, you know, everything on the ground. You know, we want to we want to know what's here, uh, what's active. So you take those that that imagery and you look to analyze it as well. Uh, and so our students are going to have the ability to learn that in a setting to where you're in an innovative space um, with T-Rex. And it's going to allow us to make other inroads to other industry partners uh, in the area, and also to create opportunities for uh, industry, for academia to come together to solve problems that we see in the community. Um, and and this is really this this is really work that I I even myself never had an idea of what happens in this lane when you're talking about geospatial sciences and using technology um, like drones, especially in a urban setting in one of the areas you could look at is urban agriculture um, and the way that these uh, tools could be used to just do something simple as determine the soil composition and make sure is this good soil is this a good place to plant food uh, so there there are lots of opportunities that we can that navigate uh, and, and, and help solve social issues through through use the use of this technology and I'm excited about what our students are going to learn. I'm excited about Harris still having space in, in this area as well, um, because what it, it's helping us to do is not only improve the community, we're also diversifying the workforce um, in a major way with this, with this whole initiative. Well, Dr. Wills, I, I think back to uh, probably it's been about six or 12 months now when the St. Louis Board of Aldermen were taking up uh, bills and looking at the idea of a possible, you know, aerial surveillance uh, as part of its criminal justice and policing uh, strategy. And I would like to think that more, especially people of color, and let's be very blunt, more black people, young people going into geospatial and understanding the power of geospatial uh, technology and the both the good and the bad that comes from collecting data, it, it would make them a more informed citizenry as well, where they can, uh, you know, speak up uh, and speak out related for or against, right, related to these types of uh, initiatives that are coming down from City Hall. Uh, not This is not to get political, but th- this learning not just helps them uh, professionally, but it helps them both on a civic on a civic level as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it definitely helps on on a civic level, and and the diversity in the conversation is very important. And I, I believe you know the 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 companies in this industry are looking to diversify for that reason because you want the diversity of thought at the table. Um, so for you you when you talk about the opportunities of things like policing, you talk about you know fighting crime with with a tool like this, having that diverse thought in that conversation could help make sure that we are being intelligent about what we're doing in this in this space with those tools to make sure that there we are doing things that are ethical make sure that we're doing things that are not in in a, in a manner to where you're you're singling out you know certain um certain individuals 
in in this uh, with with the technology. So just by having that diversity of thought there has uh, provides opportunity for learning for everyone um, because we we don't want this um, situations like like using these tools to be a detriment to anyone. Um, so having that diverse thought in the room is definitely uh, a plus. Ethics again and technology. We've been talking about that and thinking about that a lot more lately, haven't we been, Travis? Yeah, it's uh, we can't separate the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the more that data is generated, and we are generating data, all of us, on a regular basis, and somebody is collecting and potentially using those data. And so we, we do need to have a some type of standards and ethics associated with it. Yeah. We're talking with Dr. Freddie Wills, who's the vice president for STEM initiatives and research partnerships at Harris-Stowe State University here in St. Louis. And uh, one of the major uh, aspects of this is providing a career path, a launching pad for students. Can you talk about jobs, jobs, jobs? What are the opportunities that are available for students once, once they get through this program and the opportunity for these kinds of jobs to transform the St. Louis area? We, we talk about the, the data and the insights. You mentioned the stop sign example, improving people's lives, but these job opportunities themselves can do the same thing. Yes, I, I believe it's, it's, it's wonderful. Um, just the decision to house the NGA in St. Louis is, is something that's already has brought on more opportunities for the people of the of, of the city. Uh, you see more and more entrepreneurs uh, developing uh, innovative um, ways to build companies and with the use of this technology. And that's an area that we definitely want to have our students supported in. You see a lot of companies now coming to St. Louis uh, who are, are focused on like location sciences and, and things in this area because they see the potential of St. Louis really being that global center of excellence um, for this work. And as the city looks to continue to build on these efforts and, and grow itself to that global center of, of excellence, more and more job opportunities are going to come uh, in this space. We have already started uh, conversations and, and collaborations with um, folks in the industry, such as the Maxar Technologies uh, we've we've done work with them in, in developing a mapathon series um, that we launched our first mapathon back in March. Um, this was a way for our students to go. Wow, this is what we could do if we worked in this industry. And this is this is a company that's here in St. Louis now that we have access to, and we we have the ability to be a part of that one day um, in in the future in the coming summer. Uh, Harrisville State University and Maxar has already partnered to start an internship program where we will have at least five students participate in their summer 2022 internship program. So this industry uh, coming to St. Louis and growing in the way that it has is really going to offer lots of job opportunities for not only our students, but other citizens, other communities as well. Oh, you mentioned the Mapathon. I wanted to ask about that. Travis and I have gone to, we, we used to love going to the Global Hacks, for instance. Uh, those right. were so much fun and seeing how the teams work together and what the challenges were. Can you take us inside the Geo Hornet Mapathon? What was that like? What was the challenge? Uh, yeah, take us inside that. So we want to be strategic with everything we do in this space uh, with the Geo Hunted Lab. And we looked at uh, the Geo Futures strategic roadmap and looked at the, the communities that are focused in that roadmap uh, by Geo Futures and said, 
we want to do a mapathon that's going to help the help unveil what's actually in the community, what's there. Um, it is known that underserved communities are 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 not mapped very well, uh, and so we wanted to be of help uh, to the mapping platform. It's especially using the open open space mapping uh, technology that we use to say what's located in these communities. Just by doing that uh, can help you understand uh, what what community needs are. You know, how many vacant buildings are there? How many empty lots are there? We were mapping things like that to get an idea of what's in these spaces for in the future. We could then come back and see how can we start building opportunities for improvement just by knowing what's physically in these communities and uh, because it'll tell you what's physically not in these communities. Dr. Freddie Wills, the VP for STEM Initiatives and Research Partnerships at Harris-Stowe State University. Watch for the GeoHornet Lab coming to T-Rex. And thank you so much for joining us on KMOX. Yes, thank you all for, for talking with us. Again, great opportunity for Harris-Stowe uh, to be partnered with T-Rex in, in this lab. Uh, looking forward to the great work that we're, we're going to do and also partnering with the other companies within T-Rex as well hssu.edu. Dr. Wills, thank you again. All right. Thank you all. Stay tuned. Coming up on Nothing Impossible, we'll take you to Capitol Hill. A St. Louis startup leader testified about the region's success. That's up next. Now back to Nothing Impossible on the voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Well, Congress heard this week about how the St. Louis model can be copied to turn other cities into innovation hubs as well. The House Subcommittee on Economic Growth wanted to know how innovation can spark new jobs, especially outside of the coasts. Ben Johnson, Vice President of Programs for BioSTL, was one of those who testified, and he says that the approach needs to have local personality. While the shorthand often is build the next silicon, Valley, successful regions recognize there's only one Silicon Valley and the right mix of business supports and the right organizations to deliver them vary depending on the needs of a unique market. For instance, St. Louis focuses on its strengths of medical and agriculture tech. Clusters are your unique glue that bring people together, that align business supports in a system, and that augment the programs of SBA. But these programs need additional support and direction from Congress. Johnson testified that one federal program helped BioSTL support 5,000 entrepreneurs, Travis, who attracted a billion dollars in private follow-on capital. He and a counterpart from Kansas testified that there should be additional support. Great testimony, dare I say, great insights uh, from our very own Ben Johnson here in St. Louis. Listeners, thanks for joining us this week. Michael, let's do it again next week. We'll talk to you then. Happy innovating. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. 
Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.